Dear listener, who would have thought that just a little over a year after 2233's launch, we would have already arrived here at episode 100. And so, in honor of all the wonderful and inspiring storytellers who have taken the time to stop into our humble little nook and share their experiences with us, we lift a cup of kindness. And to you out there listening, we offer our sincerest gratitude. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. And this week, some very special, profound, humorous, inspirational, soulful, bizarre, and many, many unique and unforgettable moments. Join us on our journey from episode one to episode 99. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And that's what we call cultural exchange. And that's why I love these programs is not because I get to coach soccer. It's because I get to deeply impact the life of another human being. I have to be optimistic because I look at myself. I am, I am a captain of a big ship. And this ship that's full of those kids, it must go all the way to the end, to the shore. I had gotten so accustomed to my friends going to heaven that I even thought that when it's my turn to go to surgery, I might also go to heaven. We walk past this well that, you know, was covered in ice when we first got there. And it's now surrounded by flowers. We're walking along that path and the children come from all these different houses and they join us at the well and they start singing the ABC song in English, which we taught them um, over the last six or seven months. And they walk with us singing the song unexpectedly as we make our way back to that train station. And so I said, you know, I said to him, you're rude. You're deficient in manners, I guess is the way you translated. And oh my gosh, this guy lost his mind with me. He was so angry. He was like, deficient in manners. How could you ever say that? Every time when you feel dark or hopeless, you don't give up. You make a voice. Then the echoes, they're going to come back to you. And those are the hope. And I see the hope in them, and they see the hope in me. And they'd say, Habari Mazungu, how are you, white guy? Very friendly. And I'd say, Ah, Sinita Mazungu, don't call me a white man. Nico Najina, I have a name. Jinalangu ni William. My name is William. Jinalangu ni Mwalimu. Or my name is Teacher. I knew that I wanted to learn the language and make it not only a part of my professional development, but also a part of my personal life. To love another is also to love their culture. And when you're talking about a Bengali woman, it absolutely means to love her language too. which you say after you have a meal, especially if someone prepared it for you, 
that has gotten me like marriage proposals. I'm a vegetarian. I have been for seven years now. I got into this very rural community and they asked me to kill their pig. We are the ones we have been waiting for. We are, we are the change that we seek. In 2017, we had this project. We said, hashtag feed someone, telling them that no amount is too small for you to donate. So it was really interesting because you find people who do not really have much really contributing something little for another person to eat food. There's a disconnect among cowboys. You know you're raising food. We all eat steak. We all eat hamburger. But you're caring for the life and the well-being of a, of a animal, a beautiful one at that, with a lot of personality. You develop a real sweetness for it. And you have to apply that to the job because they're frustrating buggers. They're going to make you mad. So it's kind of like a child. You've got to have love for it to see, to, to see yourself through that. Otherwise, they'll just drive you crazy. There's this one picture. The herd had split and there was a gap. And right in the middle of the gap... There's a herdsman silhouetted against the sun, and in front of him is a baby horse. And the sun rays are shooting like fire around its mane. And then the next photo, it's gone. We are equipped, fully skilled right now. Twelve powerful young ladies. Each one of us has her own goals, but we all share the same love for sports, the love for soccer, love for football. And it wasn't like one of those weird things like, oh, you're a foreigner, we're Taiwanese. Like the what I explained in the beginning of this, it was just like, you're cool, we're cool. Let's just dance and bug out and have a good time. For me specifically, her husband decided to cook some python in the crock pot. Despite my fear for snakes, I felt like this was me overcoming my fear of snake is getting to eat one, right? You know, there was one point at which uh, these uh, two old grandmas on the border of um, uh, Austria and Italy up in the uh, Julian Alps gave me a goat. So even though, you know, I, I don't identify as Hindu, I... I was not brought up with that upbringing. I think still being able to, to feel the, the, the respect for that type of spirituality and, and feel the, the energy of that practice was something that, that really affected my perception of religion, not just in the United States, not just in India, but across the globe. As a Muslim woman, I give a good picture about our culture, our religion too, and who we are. I am really convinced that without women leadership, um, the societal problems will never be solved, and we must never give up. And this perseverance is an absolute must. And I made it through the Amazon and went through an extreme journey of self-clarity and put myself through a lot more than I maybe should have, but in the end was able to find my way back. Here along the highway, there's a rhythm to the day. And if you listen to his sideways, it'll almost slip away. If you're searching for a purpose and a God that doesn't speak, 
Well, you'll realize that it's all one big game of hide and seek. So where do we go? What were you hoping for? Everything is gonna be alright. Let go of the troubles on your mind. It only takes three deep breaths and a beat in your chest. To know that you'll start over again. This is America. How hot could it be? Yes, give me the devil's blood. And so he poured a couple of drops and I said, some more, please. And he did some more and I said, some more, please. And uh, I went to the park and I sat on the bench and I took my first bite and it almost blew off the top of my head. The effects of the Yes program and how it changes our lives is amazing. It helps shape the world in a way that is a win-win for everybody. I believe it has a major role in de-radicalizing some people that might have gone wrong ways. The call to prayer will be broadcast five times a day and life kind of structures its way around that. During my time in Bangladesh, I was very, very lucky because the, the summer period for CLS just so happened to be capturing the entire holy month of Ramadan that month Ramadan was everything. And here I am talking about unconscious bias on stage, and I caught myself diverting my eyes from the side of the room that was, as I call it, very dark, because they were shrouded in dark burqa. And I caught myself sort of mid-sentence, realizing that I was being biased, that I wasn't really giving that side of the room as much attention because it was intimidating to me. And so I made an effort, sort of one of these split-second decisions in my mind as I was on stage. And I looked over and I picked out one woman and I looked right into her eyes and I just smiled. And she lifted her head and sort of nodded at me with acknowledgement. She knows I can't see her mouth. She knows she had to give some sort of gesture of encouragement to me that yes, she was following me. Yes, she was with me. Yes, she appreciated what I was saying. And I had this moment of appreciation that there's a woman under that robe. There's a woman who understands what I'm saying because we're both women. I was sort of shocked because I was the only foreigner there. They seemed to recognize that in a lot of ways. They'd make jokes about what languages we were talking, you know, and we, you know what it was like where I lived. But it didn't seem to occur to them that I was the only one who wasn't keeping a guinea pig in my kitchen, ready to be eaten at any time. Okay, so I was told that I just have to try a uh, deep fried Twinkie because that's like Midwest thing. <laughs> and I did try. I, I tried deep fried Twinkie and I tried uh, deep fried Oreo cookies. So, oh yeah, man, you love deep fried things. It's like deep fried pickles. That's what I tried as well. Um, it sounded better than it tasted. It was just, you know, hot pickle. I like got up into a tree and looked behind me and there was, there was a sake monkey um, looking at me. And it was, sake monkeys are these weird things where they're, they're, their body is actually pretty small, but they have this huge, like really fluffy fur. It looks like, you know, like a little old lady wearing a giant fur coat or something like that. Um, it, you know, it's like that feeling where it, like, that something's looking at you and then you, you turn around and so like this creepy looking monkey just like staring at you. There are no heroes. They're only heroic acts. 
And I believe that's true. And I think all of us are capable of being better than we really are. And, you know, maybe we haven't done much to distinguish ourselves, but we have to hope that when the time comes and there's a really important choice to make, we make the right choice. And I guess I'm always optimistic that people who maybe haven't done anything so great yet actually will. Eliza, what do you see? Do we get When you are Brazilian, we are, we are born playing football. Even when you are inside of the mums, you are just kicking. <laughs> I remember looking up at the sky at one point and seeing the stars and just kind of feeling this night air and realizing there is absolutely nowhere else in the world that I want to be right now. And I stumble across this pomegranate farmer who was like kneeled down and covering his harvest of pomegranates. I'll show you this photo. I snapped this picture, you know, of this farmer. And then when he heard my camera click, he turned around. It was this very intense moment because I didn't know what his reaction was going to be. And it was fascinating. Before he asked me who I was, what my name is, what I was doing, before anything, before he even said a word, before he even said hello, he cracked open one of his pomegranates and he extended it to me. I'll never forget the multitude of stars. It was so, it felt kind of thick and like a, a blanket covering us. I don't really think it matters whether our president is male or female. We just need somebody that's going to give a damn about everybody. You know, when a politician gets up in front of a group, the group generally thinks he's asking for something. He or she is going to ask for a check maybe or my vote or what have you. When an artist gets up in front of a group, generally people think they're going to give us something. They're going to give us a song, they're going to show us their painting, maybe give us a piece of their soul. Well, after a short while in Romania in 1994, where there wasn't a lot to choose from, I would bring home a box of Iranian cornflakes labeled Taste of the West. My children would squeal with excitement, and they'd say, quick, get the powdered milk. Many countries in West Africa have their own version of jollof rice, and they all think that each other's is the worst, and only theirs is the true best one. I don't mind going on the record here and saying that from my own personal perspective, that I think Nigerian is the, the best one. I always found it to be... Uh, the most flavorful and spicy, which is, you know, that's what I need. I need the heat. If I close my eyes, I see squirrels running around. And I didn't know, but I'm afraid of squirrels. And I found out that I should be. <laughs> I just remember this one day after spending the whole day with her, she has this five-gallon or so water can that she is. she has several 
children, um, some of whom are hers, some of whom are you know, orphan children that she's picked up along the way, caring for all of them. They're all trying to supply themselves out of this one water can. Well, later that day, I went back to the hotel where I was staying, which was rundown, rural, terrible hotel that also lacked uh, running water, but they brought in a can of water for me to use to shower and, and everything. It was the very same yellow jerry can that everyone in the refugee settlement had been using that day, the exact same one. And I took a shower and I had used like more than half of the can by the end. <laughs> that to me was like, it really put into perspective what people are dealing with there. My whole experience, we're actually farmers, the raised uh, pigs. Yeah, and I'm a Muslim. When I'm asked the question, what do you, what's the most important quality for a diplomat, I always say curiosity. You have to go abroad with a curiosity, a desire to learn, not to think you know everything. And I guess my first brush with that kind of life was coming to Kansas City and actually having to ask people questions about why things were the way they were and getting their answers and then processing their answers and gradually developing my own view of the world. It was just the most amazing thing that I, I have ever seen. All of a sudden now I like jumped in the water and I'm excited and everything is great. And it was in that moment that I realized that I don't know what this experience is going to be, but we're gonna ride this train and see where we go and it's going to be great. It's always going to be worth it and amazing and mind blowing and life changing in the end. And with the whole table watching, I look up at this eyeball that's looking back at me, and I make sure there's a glass of water really nearby, and put it down the hatch, and it slips, and it slides, and it jiggles. <laughs> it barely went down, but I got it down. You know, you, you hear quite a bit about all the bad going on. This gave me hope that the students that are out there now have experienced this. They're going to make a difference because they're open to talking to other countries and solving problems, and they know they can do it. And it's really going to change the world. Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. America is a revolutionary idea, and... When we settle back and wait for others to do things or blame others or decide that we're powerless, we become part of the problem. And what we try to do in Parks and People is to say, we all have a responsibility to be part of the change that we seek. If you wanna make a change, if you wanna do something differently, if you wanna create something new, then you inevitably have to make mistakes. So if you change your perception towards failure, maybe you're just gonna get there faster. The stories that you're told living in the United States and the news that you get often is very different from the experiences on the ground that you're able to have when you're really able to connect at a human level that people deep down really want a lot of the same things to share in food, to be joyful, to laugh, to find connection. And it was really powerful in this ancient city of, in Syria, having that aha moment. 
The incredible thing about this country is that we don't see race here. It's all melting pot. Oye de Sancocho, everyone does bachata the same, you know? My friend's face is a cup of cream. Our parents sew skin, fix hearts. Our hands are soft as clean gauze. Our necks are smooth, our breaths confident. When we smile, our teeth look like boarding passes. We are smiling in a restaurant in the old colonial city, perfect slices of stewed goat on our white plates. I look down and think I see the goat's heart. I want to say, there is a faint bleating coming from my plate, but I don't have the mouth. So in Cambodia, they eat tarantulas, and I think they're called fire ants, crickets. Now, most of them are deep fried. A lot of them are disguised. I have to tell you, I really tried to be brave enough to do it, and I just couldn't get the tarantula in my mouth. This was my goal, that I wanted to be the person who is mentioned the most in the yearbook of that year. I'm mentioned on 27 pages. That's a separate thing that I was in the yearbook class, so I sneaked my name in in some places, but I was, <laughs> I was the spirit captain for swim team. I was the secretary for international club. I performed in a high school musical, Oklahoma. I sound very Southern already, as you see. I did dance, never doing it again. I was really bad. People were really nice. They didn't boo me off the stage. I was a DJ. I did stand-up comedy. I just thought that if I could make people smile. I hope people will walk down the street and smile more. <laughs> because smiling is something that's so natural. And if someone is just walking down the street and smiling, you know they're genuinely, sincerely happy. I mean, it's, it sounds cheesy, but a smile can be very indicative of the world going right. <laughs> As I'm crossing this bridge, I see a frisbee cut through the air in the distance. The amount of relief that that flying piece of plastic gave me, it just was this wash of relief come over me. Like, there are my people here. Because our reason for being is mutual understanding. And clearly, 9-11 was a brutal reminder about hatred and violence in the world and a fierce lack of understanding. What could we as a bureau do to respond? And what we came up with was the U.S. government's first high school exchange program for the Arab and Muslim world. The program has been in existence for 15 years now. It's reached about 10,000 participants, and I would say it has exceeded uh, whatever expectations we had for it and what it's been able to accomplish. My biggest priority was to give these young Americans the opportunity to look at something beyond the picket fences of their own homes. I think that is something that is in very short supply in the country here. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. I'm a teacher of the masses, Malcolm X with the glasses, a lecture in your classes, blast is never blasphemous. Shine brighter with no lighters, internal fire, true writer. Back in the day, call me that typewriter. Lyric space, bars are never cut and paste. Word, I'm your saving grace. People, nah, there's no debate. I make it okay. Oh, hey, let me get that ear. Diamond in that rough for the touch of your mom's love and care. A new age, new plague is in a flux. Everything is online, newspapers drying up. Technology, the universal remedy. We used to read books, now them libraries empty. Every street corner has a guy selling coconuts. He's got a coconut in one hand and a machete in the other, and he's cracking these open like nobody's business. You're, you're afraid for his fingers, but he's not at all. When you're, when you're living in a spaceship and, you know, your way of going to bed is floating or flying, 
over to the module where we have windows and looking out at Earth and saying hello to some of the places that you love and looking out at space and realizing that it's a huge, vast place. And our planet is a spaceship in space. I mean, it is the spaceship Earth. And many people feel like we're, we're off in space, but really what I feel like is that it just makes me realize how big Earth is. I mean, Earth is part of space and space is part of Earth. But while doing this, it wasn't only about Lebanon I was thinking about. I was thinking more about the, the human element in general, humanity, and how, how are we organized? Why uh, is there dysfunction in communication? Why do we get to, to conflict and armed conflict at some point, uh, not only in Lebanon, all over the world? Because we know even today, while I'm talking to you, there's many places in the world where there's armed conflict. Why can't we resolve these things in dialogue or, or even heated debates, but at least in, in words, not in actual physical action against each other? Jodi kichu karo more dan Kantho bhore diyogan He bhagavan Jodi kichu karo more dan I can translate it. Oh my beloved God, if you love me and like to bless me, just give me a sweet voice and heart full of compassion such that I can always pray for you and pray for others. Going against conventional wisdom to try the thing that isn't supposed to work, if you do it right, maybe it could. The reason conventional wisdom is that way is because it's easier to do the things that you're supposed to do the way you're supposed to do it, the way people have always done it. Doesn't mean uh, the harder road isn't, doesn't also get you there. In fact, it might get you there and be an incredible journey in the process. It might be harder, but it'll be worth it. And frankly, that's when it gets exciting. I think the, the conventional wisdom is, is um, just kind of boring. One thing that really sort of defines me, I think, now is art is life. So I would encourage young people to be empathetic and do their best not to harm anyone. Don't be responsible for putting people through pain. Try to bring people the good news in whatever situation that you can. Think the best of people, because then y your vision will be transformed. We have to teach our young people that they, they, they have to have an eye to always see the best in people and to always extract something good. And if someone is hurt or traumatized or in pain, we should have enough social intelligence to be able to address it and to be able to provide a platform for people to heal. At least as a chaplain, that's how I'm looking at things. My slogan is keep your heart busy with God and keep your hands busy with the people. So he gets me to his uh, office and hands me over a corn dog. And I'm like halfway through this corn dog and all of a sudden I realize that the meat does not taste like beef, does not taste like chicken, it tastes like something else. So I ask David, is there meat in this corn dog? And he says, you never had a corn dog? Of course, corn dog has meat in it. What kind of meat is it? While I was in Singapore, 
people were so generously sharing with me traditions that make sense to them. And one of the things, even before I had lost my grandmother, my last grand, my last grandparent, I was really struck by this idea that people would just like go to the grave and pour someone a cup of coffee and be like, you like coffee, we're here, we're drinking coffee, you get one too. And I just loved that so much. And my grandma loved tea. And so being able to think creatively about like, well, maybe I pour a cup of tea for her. And it felt at a distance, you know, being removed from, from my family and my home, really comforting. Right after sunset, you started hearing everyone scream. I was confused. I couldn't speak the language, so I really didn't know what was going on. People were running. And then eventually I noticed that there's canisters of tear gas being thrown from the cops into the crowds. I didn't know what to do. I knew I was on a student visa. I didn't want to get arrested. And so I immediately ran down uh, to the bottom level close to the street and ran inside a KFC and just stayed there until everything just blew down. It's a simple realization that people are the same around the world. It's a simple truth that a lot of decision makers are trying to hide from their people to the detriment of these people, because it's much easier to divide and rule. And that mechanism of dividing and rule, ruling has been used uh, forever. That's why uh, large um, segments of societies uh, around the world are being programmed from the very early beginning to say, uh, this, is, this is us, we are special, we are unique, and the, the rest uh, is, is enemies or something we need to fight. And it's done purposely, very often by very smart people who don't believe this themselves. For the purposes of holding on to power, they will uh, feed anything to their people. I responded to an ad in the newspaper when I was living in Germany. They were looking for English speakers to do the voiceover for a German cartoon. And so I said, I'm an English speaker, you know, I have those skills. And I went and auditioned. They wanted me to read the part of a cross-eyed cat. Uh, so I read it once. I said, okay, good. Now read it more cross-eyed. I just had no idea what it meant. I was not asked back. I was not given the job. Uh, so I realized that my foreignness only got me so far, did not make up for real talent. What do you call someone who speaks two languages? Bilingual. What do you call someone who speaks three languages? Trilingual. What do you call someone who speaks only one language? An American. A friend of mine was driving me. I didn't have a car in, in undergrad. And the first song that popped up on the radio was It's a Great Day to Be Alive by Travis Tritt. And I thought, this is fantastic. What an upbeat, uh, good song. Uh, I think the line goes, there's some tough times in the neighborhood, but it's a great day to be alive. A uh, person does acknowledge that there are difficulties, but he's got rice cooking in the microwave and he has a three-day beard that he doesn't plan to shave, and it's a great day to be alive. And that's how I was hooked on country, because although people have certain opinions about country music, I think uh, the poetry and the milieu that it seeks, seeks to evoke speaks to a lot more artless, guideless, more fundamental aspects of human existence where it's the man, the truck, the bottle of beer, and that's about that. Ten hours in, you've, you've really bonded with your fellow passengers. About probably 10, 13 hours in, and the guy behind me pulls out, um, you know, his, his handle of vodka, his, his, his liter of vodka. And that's when, you know, the, the fun really starts. She's like, so 
the turkey's alive. How do I pick a turkey? This is not going to end well is what I'm thinking. I think the thing that makes me laugh the most where I live in Mozambique is watching the monkeys. They're so much like us. It's almost scary. You can watch them interact with each other and you can almost come up with this sort of soap opera dialogue of what's happening in their little society and like who's mad at who and who's in love with who and whose baby is that. Poop actually has a pretty interesting life on the savannah. It's funny because we don't really think about what happens to poop in the wilderness, but all of those animals that are out there are pooping every day, usually several times a day. El maratón te permite saber que estás realizando tu sueño. When the finish line was in sight, I reflected on all the years all the pain, everything that has happened in my life. And it was worth it all. 200 meters away, I gained strength. And I thought, I did it. I did it. Dreams come true. Probablemente 200 metros antes de la meta yo ya vi que se iba a terminar. Y ahí agarré más fuerza, corrí más rápido y dije, lo logré, lo logré. Ahí estaba ese sueño realizado. Y puedes poner un visto y diga, hecho. And there were a lot of times that, like, men would want to, like, lift me and carry me down. And I would be like, no, I'm not fragile. Like, I just need to hold on to someone. Like, you don't have to carry me all the way down. There's this perception, I guess. A lot of people saw me as breakable. And there are people in the U.S. that see that, too. But it, I've felt that like it was my duty to convince them that I'm not as fragile as you think and I'm a human being. And there she was. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the icon. And I was breathing the same air that she's breathing. At Washington Cathedral, we often play solemn music, but we can have an element of whimsy if the occasion demands it. I've played for some events where it might be a corporate evening event for uh, some lawyers. And I was told that this is a young crowd. They like music of the 70s. So, stairway to heaven. Worse for me. Sounded good on the bells, too. When I could, like, touch the soil and I could feel that the soil that I touched in Bangladesh and the soil I touched in the U.S., they felt all the same. And I realized that it's just borders and the borders are just man-made. The earth, it's, it's just one thing without borders. So I, I kind of felt like I'm a, I'm a global citizen at that point. I am never, never. When I get knocked down, that's my turn off that sound. Yeah. I 
lived in Hamburg, but I'm a Berlin Currywurst fan. So everybody at home hated me. I actually had a discussion with my host dad that I thought Berlin Currywurst was better, and he locked me out of the house for a little while. <laughs> for all We'll tack a cup of kindness yet and days of old lang syne. So I would just encourage people to not lose hope. You know, when things look negative, uh, you know, when, when stories and narratives are negative, to, to remember that there are hundreds and thousands of people whose life's work is to connect us all and to make the world a better place. Imagine you're back in the Philippines now and you're fiddling around on your car radio dial and a song comes on and it takes you right back to that time. What, what's the song? That was 2009, so it's definitely Miley Cyrus' party in the USA. <laughs> I, f- I forget, how does that go? Uh, I'll try to go for the lyrics. <laughs> and I think everybody can like wave their hands, right? <laughs> Okay, everybody now. So I put my hands up. They're playing my song. The butterflies fly away. Woo! I'm nodding my head like, yeah. Moving my heads like, yeah. So I got my hands up. They're playing my song. They're flying. It's going to be okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a party in the USA. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a party in the USA. At that time, you know, Pakistan have a very bad impression of Americans, unfortunately. So we think that uh, most of the states are not Muslim friendly. It was a stereotype. But at that time, I searched that, what is the Muslim population? And how are the Muslims? Are they happy over there? I was able to know that anywhere in the U.S. you have like full religious freedom. So my stereotyping thing, it, it got killed during the process of Fulbright. And since coming back, not only have I contacted my representatives when they pass legislation that I don't agree with, I've also become an avid voter. And I, I truly don't know if I would be an avid voter without that experience. So meeting other kids definitely taught me just how to be engaged civically. You know, these people were taking pictures of us today at this street fair. And he's like, well, what were you doing? You're sitting on the, the ground eating. He's like, you're sitting on the ground? Don't you know that makes you infertile? <laughs> what? But, you know, I kept going. The way that I was able to get out of that was that I thought again of my dreams.
on my way to work every day, I would go to this little cafe across the street from my apartment and I'd chit chat with the girls behind the counter. And then I mentioned that I I was going to be leaving pretty soon after that, that, you know, I only had a month left in Ukraine. And we both started crying <laughs> in the middle of the coffee shop. I don't even know this girl's name. So we show up at his house. It was not just a home-cooked meal. It was a home-cooked meal with an accordion. Because it turns out our prosecutor, besides being a legal expert, plays the accordion. And for four hours, we sat and ate Bosnian food and listened to music and heard stories and watched people danced and realized that there is so much joy left in these towns. And there is so much looking ahead as well as looking backwards. There's just a feeling to, to this and that. Um, you know, there's something. Nothing's quite resolved. And still, We're home. Right. You know, there's there's a journey that's that's uh, that's just woven into the the fabric of harmony. Twenty two thirty three is produced by the Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Worst. I'm the director of the Collaboratory. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. This week, I just want to give a simple but very heartfelt thank you to my entire 2233 team, who work incredibly hard on all of the aspects of this podcast and also have a million ideas how to creatively use this as a tool to highlight for people the power of international exchanges and to make the world a smaller and hopefully kinder place. So thank you very much. Ana Maria Sinertine, Edward Stewart, Kate Furby, Samantha Filippo, Desiree Williamson, Manny Pereira Colochi, Yusra Ghazi, Mary Kay Hazel, Renat Tabati, Josiah Patterson, Carly Coti, Laurel Stickney, Cynthia Uba, and Kelly Zhang. Special thanks, too, to all our ECA colleagues who work hard to secure the interviews and help spread the word about 2233, and to our ECA leadership for their faith and support in what we're doing. Bringing you these first hundred episodes was nothing short of pure joy. And so, with that, here's to the next 100. Until next time.